2023. 2023 was the most transformative year of my life. Now, I don't have a ton of years as an adult to go off of yet, but in the past 12 months, I've completely done a 180 in terms of my self-identity, who I want to become, the things I'm interested in, and my life trajectory. So in this video, I'm going to go over the 12 biggest lessons I've learned from this year. And it's going to be completely unedited, no script. I just have 12 bullet points with lessons. And I'll be diving deeper into these in a upcoming newsletter. So if you're interested in reading that, reading the blog post, the newsletter will be coming out on Friday, January 5th, 2024. And if you're watching this after, you can find the full blog post on my website, which will be linked down below in the description if you're interested in reading um, and having a little bit more of a succinct, clear, tangible way to understand what has transpired over the last year for me. But to give you a high-level overview of how much has changed in the last 12 months. So if I go back a year ago from today, so today is January 3rd, 2024, when I'm recording this, on January 1st, 2023, so exactly about a year ago, I left Illinois in Chicago, in the Chicago area for the first time in my entire life to go live on my own. So in the start of 2023, I was accepted into an entrepreneurship study abroad program for my university. And so I lived in San Francisco from January to March. And that was the first time I really lived on my own outside of the state of Illinois, which is crazy to think about because now I'm recording this from Austin, Texas. I've moved across the world multiple times. Um, but just a year ago, I really didn't know how to live on my own as an adult. And it's still something I'm really figuring out as I progress in this entrepreneurship journey, this creator journey, and this journey of becoming a man. So high level overview 2023, moved to San Francisco for an entrepreneurship program, was really taking the online writing very seriously at the time. I grew from 1,000 to 8,000 followers in the month of January. I signed my first two full-time ghostwriting clients in the month of February. Um, so that put me at from zero to 4K a month, which completely changed the way I was viewing the world because in that moment, I realized I had a skill set to allow me to be independent and that I could make online money without necessarily completing a college degree. And so fast forward, Mid middle of February, I pretty much stopped showing up to class. I started ditching all the class field trips and I just invested all of my time and attention into growing my own brand and my own business. And a month later, I decided to leave school, take a break, move across the world to Buenos Aires with a really good friend I met in San Francisco, Matt Mick, lived there for a couple of months, came back home, um, went on a family vacation to Greece, and then I moved to Costa Rica for a few months. Costa Rica was phenomenal. Um, met a bunch of amazing, fantastic people there. Had a lot of transformative experiences, which I'll touch on in a little bit here. And um, decided then to move back home. So I moved back home from about September to January. So went back home, was living with the parents, um, really grinded and locked into a monk mode, like 4.30 a.m. wake-ups, just like 
absolutely focused, dialed in. Um, not much external fun for a little bit, but that was pre-planned and intentional. So all that being said, in a year, I've gone from a junior in college who didn't really know what he was going to do with his life, kind of expecting to go and work a consulting or finance job, maybe a psychology job, I wasn't sure, to now leaving college, 99% sure I will not go back building a full-time creator business, growing an audience of 27,000 followers-ish across platforms, and working with the people I used to look up to at the start of this game within Cortex, like Dan Coe, Joey Justice, etc. So a lot has happened in this past year. I've changed a lot as a person, and people in my close circle and close life will be able to tell you that firsthand. So Without further ado, I'm going to get into the 12 biggest lessons I learned from this past year, and hopefully you could get some nuggets and some takeaways if you're if you're a young guy, young girl, just starting off in the creator journey, don't know what you want to do with your life. So I can tell you a little bit of my experience. And so the first lesson is be firm in your beliefs, but be open to changing your mind. And so... This principle is so important for me, and it's actually a principle, coincidentally, that I learned in San Francisco from a lot of these startup tech founders, right? They always had this belief that would repeat it to us. They would say, strong beliefs loosely held. And so what that means is you need conviction about your path and your beliefs and what you want to do with your life, but if circumstances change, you adopt a new belief be quick and open to discarding old limiting beliefs for new empowering beliefs. And so how I put this into practice was when I started in this creator game, September of 2022, I had a few people say to me, you should drop out of college. And when they said that, my mind instantly closed. I said, I'm at a top 10 university. Um, I wanted to go here since I was 16 years old. It was my dream. I would never drop out. It would prevent me from potentially life-changing opportunities later down the line. But as I started to progress in this game and I started to connect with higher level people like Talon Simmons, Dakota Robertson, etc., I started to see that in this new digital economy, in the creator economy, you don't need a college degree. You don't need qualifications. Your qualifications are your ideas. Your qualifications are your life experience. Your qualifications and credentials are your ability to positively impact other people. And so I started to look at a few of these creators I really looked up to and aspired to be like, like Dakota Robertson and Dan Coe, and they were both college dropouts. And I found that very interesting. And so my mind started to open to the possibility of another path. And so going back to around February of 2023, when I signed my first two ghostwriting clients and was making 4K a month. I began to see the only bottleneck to growing my own brand, growing my own business and scaling my business. At the time, I thought I wanted to scale a ghostwriting agency. I don't anymore. And I can get into that later as well. But I saw the only constraint to that was having to commute an hour to class and an hour back to class, having to sacrifice eight hours on a random Wednesday to go to a field trip to a company that I didn't care about at all just to fit in and get a good grade. I had to sacrifice writing my own content and writing my own work that was actually going to impact my business and brand for 
having to spend four hours working on a group project to get a grade. And I just instantly saw that college was not providing me the same level of real world experience. And it was not teaching me as much as I was learning in the creator economy, actually doing the work. And that's a big problem I have now with the educational system. I think there's a lot of great things I learned from college, a lot of great people I met. And I think the social aspect is the most powerful aspect of the college experience. However, it's so theoretical. It's so abstract. There's no tangible experience with reality. And what I've seen throughout this year in the creator economy is that experience is the best teacher. You can only learn, truly learn and understand by doing. You can't memorize an equation in the real world. You can't memorize a study guide and get an A on a test in the real world. You actually have to produce things of value, right? And so that's a little bit of a tangent. But once I was started making a full-time income online, I was reading a book at the time called Not a Life Coach by one of my favorite writers and creators named James Smith. I definitely recommend checking him out. And he has a lot of unconventional beliefs there about what success really looks like and how success is really only an individual metric, right? When people try to impose their idea of success onto you, they're just trying to justify their worldview. They're just trying to justify their life decisions, but only you know the definition of, of success for yourself. And so once I started to grapple with this idea of like, what do I actually want out of life? What is going to make me happy? I quickly realized that getting a quote unquote prestigious job or um, working in an office or commuting and wearing a suit and tie and working the nine to five was not a path that was going to make me fulfilled, happy, or help me reach my potential as a human being. I saw it as a constraint on my human potential. I see as a job as having a built in ceiling on your potential because you have a set role, right? You cannot move up unless you have a boss that tells you you can move up. Whereas in entrepreneurship, you create your own promotions. The only bottleneck on your progress is your skills and your beliefs and your ideas. And so entrepreneurship in my eyes is one of, if not the only mechanism in the modern world for self-actualization. I don't think you can self-actualize in a nine to five job. Now, it's not to say that it can't be a stepping stone to doing your own thing, which I think that is completely valid, especially if you've not found out about this side of the internet, not found out about entrepreneurship until after college. Luckily, I was fortunate enough to do that, but it can be a great stepping stone to eventually doing your own thing, but you cannot reach your potential as a human being working for somebody else. You cannot reach your potential as a human being being confined to a set role, to set hours, to trading your time for money, etc. And so I realized that any job that this degree would qualify me for, I didn't want. I had had an experience with a finance internship my sophomore year of college, and it was unpaid, and I commuted every day to the city, and I acted like I was working for eight hours a day. I probably worked for an hour a day just copying and pasting things, and I felt like I felt like a monkey in a cubicle. I felt like if a monkey was trained to do the same tasks I was doing, it didn't matter what your IQ was. It was just following the same robotic, monotonous tasks. Now, I understand I was an intern and I was not doing high-level things, but I quickly saw that 
it was leaving me unfulfilled. At any spare moment, I was sneaking off and reading a book about self-improvement. I was sneaking off and trying to transfer to a Division three school to play football. And that all being said, I realized that the jobs I would be quote-unquote qualified for with my degree, I did not want. And that I would rather actually work as a waiter or DoorDash to make some extra money or work as a barista at a coffee shop in a place I love and work on the online stuff on the side for as long as it took to become successful because I saw the upside is unlimited, right? And so, yes, this had to, this came with a lot of realizing that I'm going to let people's expectations down. I'm going to let my peers' expectations down. I'm going to let my family's expectations down. But it comes back to you only know your own individual metric of success. And so once I had these experiences, once I was having made a full-time income, once I met people doing things I'd wanted to do, I meditated on the decision for an hour and I decided that I was going to go this unconventional path. I was going to go the road less traveled. And so I ended up calling Talon Simmons and Dakota Robertson. And they both told me like, dude, you can do this. You don't need a college degree. And so after that, I ended up calling my parents, telling them that I was going to not drop out of college, but I was going to take a break from college and I was going to go try to do this thing full time. And if it didn't work out, I could always go back. And so in March, I made the decision to go all in, move to Buenos Aires with my friend Matt, Um, much cheaper cost of living, gave me a bit of a runway. So that 4K a month was actually a lot of money down there, whereas in San Francisco, it was not at all. And so um, I was open to changing my mind there. And that decision to changing my mind proved to me one of the most important decisions I ever made because I consolidated vectors of my attention. When I was doing school and the online stuff, I was doing both half-ass, right? Because you, you only have so much focus, you only have so much psychic energy, you only have so much attention. But when I consolidated that all into myself and my business, my brand exploded and I felt so much clarity on where I was going. And so this leads into the second lesson from the year. So lesson number two is all advice cancels to zero. So this is a quote from Naval Ravikant that is ingrained in my head when getting advice from people because what I've learned about advice in general is people's advice is just them trying to justify their own worldview and their life decisions, right? Everybody's biased when they give advice. Everybody gives advice from the perspective of they chose the right path and their decision is right. And so at this time, when I was making this decision to leave college, to start my own thing, to enter this thing called the creator economy, which to the generation before us was completely abstract, I received phone calls from parents' friends who were Northwestern alums telling me that Northwestern was the best thing that ever happened to them. Now they're working. They're like the third person at a huge company. Um, it's changed their life. I also received calls from family telling me that like you, the degree is so important, et cetera, et cetera. And what I realized is the advice I would be getting from the people I aspire to be like was directly conflicting the advice 
I was receiving from these people close to me in my life. And so what I realized quickly was that creating my own tribe of mentors in my head was more valuable for decision-making than listening to people in my life, living a life I did not want to live. Now it's not to put down anybody's way of living, but it's about knowing yourself and knowing your values and knowing what you're orienting towards and making a decision based on that. And so I talked a little bit about this tribe of mentors in your head. So what does that mean? It essentially means choosing 10 to 15-ish thought leaders, influencers, creators, entrepreneurs, writers, whoever you aspire to be like, and imagining them at a round table around you giving you advice for your exact situation. And so at my round table, some names that come to mind instantly are Naval Ravikant, Alex Hormozzi, Dan Coe, Jordan Peterson, um, Steve Jobs, Alan Watts, Ram Dass, I could go on and on with a few more that have been extremely influential for me. Hamza, um, just people that have really changed my way of thinking. And then the most important person at that table, at this tribe of mentors giving me advice is my older, wiser self. And so this older, wiser self, I imagine as the 85-year-old version of me, the version of me who has figured everything out, the version of me who has everything I want accomplished in his life and he is the he is the person even more than all those mentors who has the most context on my situation who knows me better than anybody else and who also has my best interest in mind and so after I imagine what Naval would say to me after I imagine what Jordan Peterson would say to me because I've studied them so deeply and I've read so much of their work and I've consumed so much of their content that I almost know their philosophies and how they would answer if they were advising me personally, all those different comments get run through the 85-year-old version of me, the actualized version of me, the version of me who figured everything out. And this mental model, you could say, has really helped me to trust myself. So there's a model that's been ingrained in my head for the past couple of years. It's actually derives from my college football team. And the model was trust yourself. And that was something I always failed to do. I always looked to other people to tell me the answer. I always looked to other people to tell me what I should do. But what I realized is that all advice cancels to zero. No one knows your situation as well as you do. And after counseling your tribe of mentors, after counseling the people in your life, the only person who is responsible for making decisions for your life is you. And this is extremely empowering because I truly believe to become the person you want to be, you need to be firm in your decision-making. You need to make decisions and not hesitate and look back. There's a, a little aside from Warren Buffett. So Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, they famously make like one huge investment a year. And so they just spend all their time reading, gathering information, thinking, talking things through, etc. But once they make a decision to invest in a company, they never second guess it. And so they have absolute unwavering conviction once they make a decision because looking back and saying, oh, I should have done this, I should have done that, it's just wasted energy. All you can do is look forward. And so this is all to say that you know your situation better than anybody else. Only you can make decisions for your life 
in accordance with the person you want to become and the life you want to live. And you should look at advice from other people with a wary eye because usually it's biased. Usually it's just to justify their own life decisions. And usually it's just an attempt to put you in a box and solidify their idea of who you are and who you should be to themselves. So number three is luck is more in your control than you think. And so this also stems from an idea from Naval about the four different types of luck. So most people just think about luck as blind luck. And that's the first type of luck. So blind luck is a chance occurrence. You walk down the street, you pick up a $100 bill, you're lucky. You play the lottery and you win the lottery. That's lucky, right? But in the modern world with technology and the internet and action, there are actually three other types of luck. So the second type of luck, there's four types. The second type of luck is luck through action. And this is something I've experienced over the past year as well. So luck through action essentially means that you run around so much, you post so much content, you do so much outreach, you relentlessly show up and do the work every day and network with people. You create so much action and energy that you increase the likelihood that a lucky occurrence comes to you, right? And so a couple ways that I've done this was back in January of this year when I was just starting, when I grew from 1,000 to 8,000 followers on Twitter, it was because I relentlessly published 30 threads in the month of January in a row every single day. And that relentless action created so much energy around me and my name that chance occurrences came up. I signed a ghostwriting client who was my past, a past podcast guest because he saw me grow my account and he saw my writing, right? So that's luck through action. Another example of this is because I grew my account and I was still running my podcast and I was reaching out to people, I was able to get Dakota Robertson and Taylor Simmons on my podcast, two creators I really looked up to. And Taylor was running a huge ghostwriting agency at the time. And he had too much inbound leads, like great problem to have. He had too many leads. And so he knew I was in the fitness industry. And so he gave one of those leads off to me. He referred one of those leads to me. And those two situations, signing an old podcast guest because of my growth in the month of January and taking action by running a podcast and, and growing my account and asking Taylor to come on, those two lucky occurrences led me to being able to make a full-time income and leaving college. And so the luck through action is absolutely huge and it's absolutely in your control. The third type of luck is spotting luck. So this is when you have so much specific knowledge about an industry, about a niche, about a topic that you can spot opportunities in the market when most people can't see them. And so around this time of January, 2023, I networked with a ton of people. I was consuming content about the creator economy and Twitter growth relentlessly. And so I was able to identify an opportunity to make massive progress. And doing that was writing those 30 threads in the month of January with a paid growth strategy implemented. Um, that's another topic for another video, but I was able to luckily, it, it was not luck, but luckily grow from 1,000 to 8,000 followers because I had specific knowledge about the industry and I was able to take relentless action and execute a game plan. And so 
you can access this third type of luck by immersing yourself in a field, becoming obsessed, talking to as many people as possible. And then you start to spot things that an outsider who isn't in the creator economy, for example, couldn't see. And you do this enough over time, you create so much specific knowledge that you can identify trends before anybody else can see them and you can make more progress than anybody else can. The fourth and final type of luck is creating a unique character or being a unique persona where luck finds you. And so, for example, this could look like an example that Naval Ravikant gives is if you're the best underwater, underwater deep sea diver in the world and somebody finds a gold necklace at the bottom of the ocean, they will call you to go retrieve that gold necklace and give you a massive cut of the profits from selling that gold necklace necklace. And so you get lucky in that situation because you ha you are the best in the world at what you do and you have a unique character where people know you as the authority in that field. And so I've seen this happen sporadically throughout this year. Um, one example I can give is with Cortex. So Cortex is a software that Dan Coe, one of my favorite creators and somebody I really look up to, is founding. And a few months back, they were looking for a writer for Cortex and a an educator um, for their mastermind program. And because I had previously joined Justin Scott's academy, proven my competency, had great results, and shown that I was a capable writer and really understood the space at a deep level, they reached out to me to help them with Cortex. And so I created this unique character through building a personal brand, through doubling down on my talents and skill set, which is writing and consulting, that they reached out to me. And so this all goes to say that you can set yourself up for situations and opportunities to get lucky simply by stepping into the arena, right? Let's use the creator economy as an example because it's what my brand is around. So. When you're out of the arena of the creator economy, you, you're closed off from the last three types of luck. You're closed off from luck through action. You're closed off from luck through spotting opportunities because you don't have specific knowledge. And you're closed off from creating a uni unique character with your personal brand where luck finds you. The only option you have to get lucky is blind luck, which is out of your control. But when you step into the, the arena, you gain access to those four different types of luck which is extremely powerful. And what's even more powerful is not as many people are playing this game as you may think. It may look from the outside or if you're just starting off that there's so many creators out there, everybody's fighting for attention, etc. But I want you to ask yourself, if you look in your personal life, how many people are creators? How many people are entrepreneurs? Not many. The odds are maybe one or two people you know are doing something like this. And so I would argue it's actually more competitive to go the conventional path because that's what everybody's doing, right? There's not as many people in this arena as you think. And when you step into the arena, you gain access to opportunities to get lucky. Number four, burnout is often just misalignment. So as a productivity coach, performance coach, etc., I used to really stress on my clients to Make sure you're resting, make sure you're recharging, make sure you're stepping away from your work, right? You don't want to burn out. I've been there before, it sucks. 
And what I've realized is when the work you're doing is aligned with your highest self and aligned with your true nature, burnout almost fails to exist. And I'll give a tangible example here. So when I was living in Argentina, around the second month, I was still ghostwriting. I had hit a new high month. I signed three clients. I was at $7,000 a month, but I felt utterly burnt out. I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. I had no motivation to eat clean. I was eating shit food. I was escaping into weed and watching NBA highlights like any spare moment. I let up on the gym. I let up on my health, etc. And the reason was is because I was not building something in alignment with my purpose. I had no idea of my purpose. My purpose before moving to Argentina was always escaping the nine to five before I got in and building a life of freedom. And I accomplished that. I moved through that layer of my purpose. But once I got to Argentina and I was through that layer of my purpose, I failed to identify the next step, the next layer of my purpose to pursue. And so I started drowning in pleasure essentially. And so What I've realized now is fast forward seven months when I've launched my first cohort, I was working about 10 times as much and 10 times as hard launching that cohort than I ever was as a ghostwriter in Argentina, but I never burnt out of it, right? I was actually energized by it. I was actually looking forward to working 12 hour days when I had to. And the reason was because the work was aligned with my layer of purpose. I've identified my new layer of purpose to be helping other people who are in a situation like myself, whether it be the nine to five or like college, who want to build a life of freedom for themselves. And creating this curriculum, creating this cohort was aligned with that layer of my purpose. Now, as I progress, new layers of my purpose will have to emerge. But the point is, when the work is aligned with your true nature and the work is aligned with your purpose, Burnout is not real. It's just you do the work because it's what you do. You wouldn't rather do anything else. So that all goes to say, if you're struggling with burnout, it's often just misalignment and it can be really helpful to take a step back, take a week off if you can, take a weekend off and just go think. So full transparency, the the way I was able to identify my new layer of purpose was after I moved home from Argentina, I got fairly homesick. I was burnt out. I just, I needed to recharge. I got home and the first weekend I was home, my family was gone. Um, I can't, I can't remember exactly where they were, but they were gone for the weekend. And so I decided to take LSD and deeply introspect on why I was so misaligned why I had fallen off the path and where I should be going. And through that day, I walked around in a forest preserve for about 12 hours and just thought, and you don't need psychedelics to do this. Uh, Let me make that clear. You don't need psychedelics to do this. I have just had very positive experiences with them and they've helped me think a lot deeper about my purpose. So I turned to them sporadically, a couple times a year maybe, to really gain awareness and see, am I still on the path? And what I realized during that experience is that I'd fallen off the path. I was only operating out of my self-interest, my own self-interest, instead of serving others. And so instantly I realized I need to start serving others. And so the next day after this experience, I 
started performance coaching other creators, helping them set up systems, helping them imp- improve their focus, helping them increase their productivity for free. I offered 50 free calls and I didn't make a dollar from it, but my energy was back. My motivation was back. I was serving people. I was moving to my next layer of my purpose. And that all led, it went from free performance coaching to paid performance coaching to paid brand consulting to launching a performance free course that got a ton of reception to launching my first cohort based around performance and brand consulting, the intersection of those two things. And so the point is, if you feel burnt out, if you feel lost, find a way to realign yourself, find a way to self-reflect. Point number five is long-term thinking requires operating from abundance. Now, something I've noticed through observation, through listening to podcasts of the top entrepreneurs, the top creators is they are able to think in longer term time horizons than anybody else. They are not thinking as much about the day to day while they're still dominating the day to day. They're thinking three to five years in advance, right? They're playing chess. They're playing 40 chess. Whereas most people are living in this month to month scarcity and they fail to think beyond the next month. All that's in their mind is how am I going to pay rent, right? And if we think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they're in the second tier of the triangle, right? Of the pyramid. They're in the survival stage, right? Whereas the top layer of the pyramid, self-actualization, your highest self, your highest potential can only come once you have all these survival needs met. And so when you're operating from scarcity, you cannot think about your potential. You cannot think in long-term time horizons. And so this was a big reason I decided to move back home with my parents after living in Costa Rica for two months because yes, I was making about four to $5,000 a month in Costa Rica, but after taxes, rent, food, travel, every month I was like barely breaking even, if not actually losing money. And so I was so stressed in the day-to-day, I wasn't able to see beyond the next week or the next month. So when I went home and now parents have the house, I don't need to pay rent. Parents have the food. I don't need to pay for food. I don't have to think so much in terms of how am I going to get the next client? How am I going to make sure I can pay rent? I can start to strategize and think in longer term time horizons. And so what happened is I started ideating my peak performance primer course. I started ideating my cohort. I started ideating a book. These were thoughts I was not able to have when I was operating from scarcity. And to drive this point home, a few weeks after I got home, I was let go by my two ghostwriting clients that were providing me 4K a month. And so my income dropped to close to zero for a period of time. Now, if I was out traveling, if I was out living on my own, that would have sent me into flight or flight. That would have sent me into scarcity mode. But because I was at home and I was still able to operate from abundance, I was able to say, okay, this happened. What am I going to do to solve it? And the game plan was launch the best performance course in the creator economy for free and launch a cohort on the back end of that and use that to create enough income and cash flow to go move out again. And so that's exactly what happened. And coincidentally, a week after I was let go by the two ghostwriting clients, 
I was asked to join Cortex, which essentially replaced that income. So um, it's all goes to say, if you're young, if you're not young, it still applies. Find a way where you can operate from abundance because it'll help you think in longer term time horizons. It'll let you be patient. It'll let you play chess, not checkers. So if you're young, there's no shame in going home and living with your parents. I was actually inspired by a huge YouTuber, Hamza, to go home because he went home at 25 years old with 3 million YouTube subscribers to realign. And I was like, if he can go home, I, I can go home. It's, it's not that big of a hit to my ego. So if you're young, there's no shame in going home. If you're young or if you're not young, there's no shame in having a job. There's no shame in having some type of stable income because that's going to allow you to think bigger and think in longer term time horizons. Number six is the greatest productivity hack in the world is a project and a public deadline. Now, I've realized this more than ever in the past couple months that announcing you're going to do something publicly, having people excited for it, having people even potentially buying a product, a a cohort, a course from you is the greatest forcing function to take massive action in the world of entrepreneurship. And so how I've applied this was, it was, I believe it was September, or no, it was November 6th. I announced publicly that I was going to release my free performance course, the Peak Performance Primer, on November 13th. Now, at the time, I had no slides built, I had no videos recorded, I had no idea how to use the recording software. I had no idea how to format all of this stuff into Kartra, the uh, course hosting platform that I was going to be using. I had no idea how to market it. I had no idea how to make sure people could access it. But because I put that accountability out there in public and people were excited for it, I was previewing it. Um, they were waiting for it. I had no idea but to get the work done. And so that week was when I realized that my work capacity was so much higher than I previously thought. I'm a big proponent of balance in terms of overall lifestyle. So making sure you're resting, making sure you're sleeping, making sure you're eating clean, hitting the gym, not overworking yourself, etc. But when you have that stress and you have that external accountability, you realize you're capable of so much more than you once thought. And so in that week, I grinded like 14-hour workdays, seven days in a row. I didn't know I was capable of that. And it's not something I want to do or sustain for the long run. It's not the lifestyle I want to live or design. But knowing that I can tap into that reserve bank when I need it is extremely powerful because fast forward about a month and a half later, I had marketed my cohort. I had set up the landing page. I had sold it. I had 20 or so people inside, yet the thing was not built yet. The thing was not finished. I had all the ideas in my head, but I hadn't actually actualized that and put it into the real world. And so from about December 10th to the 23rd, 13 days in a row, I tapped right back into that deep work, that deeply productive state of... 10 plus hour workdays, day after day after day after day. And I got it done because I didn't have a choice. I have people counting on me. I have people paying me. I have responsibility now to 
serve these people to the best of my capabilities. And so this all goes to say that you are capable of much more work than you may think. And the greatest way to tap into peak productivity is setting a public deadline, having people waiting for something. Now you have no choice but to get the work done. And this is something that I will continue to implement as I um, go through subsequent launches of future courses, future cohorts, future products, future curriculums, etc. Because I know now when push comes to shove and shit hits the fan, I can pull a 12-hour workday seven days in a row if I need to. I have that in my capacity. And also now, now that I'm back to about like a four to six hour workday, probably four to be honest, um, I realized like it's it seems so easy. Like I've gotten to Austin here for two days and there's been many times where I'm like, damn, I have a lot of time right now. What should I do? And so and now I'm recording this hour and a half video, which you could say is work, but it doesn't really feel like work because I'm just talking and I'm in a flow state. So that all goes to say like pushing your work capacity sometimes with the deadline is great for resetting your natural calibration because when you go back down to four to six hours, that seems like nothing. And you now, I have time to read for three hours a day. I have time to hit the gym. I have time to hit 15K steps and walk and listen to podcasts and connect with people and record these videos, etc. So um, if you're looking to increase your productivity, set a deadline and get the work done. Number seven is... Just-in-time learning is better than just-in-case learning. So I used to fall into the trap of mental masturbation, of learning for the sake of learning rather than learning for the sake of applying. And so the most tangible example I can give is I would read books on sales. I would read books and watch videos on marketing. I would read stuff on copywriting, but... It was all just very abstract because I didn't have a project to filter the information through and act on. And so for so long, I had these theories or ideas about marketing, but until I actually marketed a cohort and marketed a free product, I hadn't tested theory with reality. And so I actually didn't understand or know. And in the month or two of marketing my cohort, having honestly, very little idea what the hell I was doing and figuring things out as I went. I learned more in that six weeks or so of marketing the cohort than I did in the past year of learning marketing or taking a marketing class in college or anything like that. And so the point of this one is you need a project. You need a reason to learn things and apply them because you can only truly know and understand something by doing it. And so rather than just sitting back and reading for two hours about sales, go try to sell something rather than just reading and watching videos about marketing, try to build and market a product yourself. You'll learn more by doing the thing and then looking up on Google, looking up on ChatGPT, looking up on YouTube when you hit a roadblock, when you say, okay, wait, how do I actually market this? Um, how should I actually apply this sales tactic to something I'm selling? You'll learn more by doing it than by theorizing about it or just by reading about it. So this goes to say that just-in-time learning is significantly better than just-in-case learning. Now, I'm not against reading. I think it's amazing. But reading without applying is 
a very sneaky form of procrastination and mental masturbation. So that's a question to ask yourself. Number eight is your next evolution as a person is on the other side of what you're most fearful of. So usually when we feel fear about something, it's where we are lacking growth or lacking competency. And so I can look at this as a few different ways over this past year. And so when I originally set this goal in September of launching a free product in a cohort under my own name, I was terrified. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to build a product. I don't know how to market it. I don't know if anybody would be interested in it. Um, it feels like way too much work. I'm not ready. Like these are limiting beliefs everybody has. And so seeing through them and realizing that those are just not real. They're just beliefs. You realize that the fear is actually an indication of where you should move forward. And having a little bit of a fear or anxiety around a goal pursuit is actually good because it means you're pushing your limits. It means you're pushing your comfort zone. And so if you don't feel fearful about where you're headed or a project or a goal, you're probably not striving enough. You're probably not thinking enough. Number nine is you build confidence by sticking to your word and stacking small wins every day. And so I'm going to apply this lesson to something outside of the creator economy. I'm going to apply it to social confidence and social situations, especially with girls. So at the start of this year, when I was living in San Francisco, I had horrible social anxiety. The idea of like talking to a girl in public or going up to her or just like saying hi and asking for her name was absolutely terrifying for me. And so I remember on multiple occasions, I would actually like make myself like walk around the mall in San Francisco where I lived and like try to go approach girls. And like half the days I would end up leaving without saying hi to anybody, feeling like shit about it and going home and saying, I can never talk to girls, etc. I'd also like make myself go out to bars alone not drinking, but just to try to talk to girls. And so a lot of those nights too, I ended up just going home, not talking to anybody and feeling like shit about it. And so what I realized is I was trying to run a marathon in my eyes without having first ran a mile. And so what I started to do to build this social confidence was starting really small. When I went to a coffee shop and the barista said hi, instead of just ordering the coffee and not saying another word, having a small little conversation saying, how are you? Like, how's your day? Like, how long have you been working here? Just little questions like that. And then leaving those little interactions with a waiter, with a waitress, with a barista at the coffee shop, with somebody on the train, whatever, leaving those small situations with not much stakes involved with a win, walking away saying, damn, I crushed that interaction or damn, she was cool or damn, like, I actually said something. Those small wins stack on top of each other and they compound to the point where now you're in a bar and you're not drinking and you feel like you could talk to anybody because you've done it a hundred times at the coffee shop throughout the past month, right? And so now I feel, which is so crazy to say because a year and a half ago, I would have never said, I feel extremely confident in social situations because Every time I go to a coffee shop now, every time I'm at the gym and somebody checks me in, 
I have that little conversation with people and I stack those small wins. And now I feel I'm at a bar. I can go up and talk to anybody. I'm at a party. I'll be the social butterfly, even though I'm slightly introverted by nature, because I really believe social skills are a skill you can learn and build, but you only can build a skill by doing it and applying it just like everything in the creator economy, right? And so if you struggle with social confidence, work on the skill in these micro interactions in your day-to-day life with the barista, with uh, the worker who's giving you your food, with the waitress. And once you start to master those small situations, now you have more confidence for the bigger situations. So that's been a huge thing that has improved for me over the past year. Um, I could probably get more into this in future videos if you're curious about it, about social anxiety and low confidence, but it's something I think you can really work on through action. Number 10 is the moment you stop putting people on pedestals is the moment you become capable of reaching their level. And so a trap I fell into for a very long time, especially in this creator game, but also in my past life as a football player was putting the people ahead of me on such massive pedestals and seeing them as something different for myself. And What that would do is that would harm my self-confidence. So in football, when I interacted with the starters, I always thought, oh, they're way better than me. They don't want to hear what I have to say. They don't care about my opinions. They don't care about me as a human being. In the creator economy, when I looked up to these people and put them on pedestals and saw people launching products, um, launching books, launching cohorts, etc., I always thought, okay, I'm not at their level yet. I'm not ready Once I'm ready, then I'll do it, which is the biggest limiting belief ever because you're never going to be ready. You're never going to feel ready. You have to move forward despite how you feel. You have to. Feelings and emotions are not reality. They don't actually affect reality. You can act despite how you feel. And so what was really helpful for me in terms of realizing that the people you look up to are human beings with problems just like you was beginning to interact and meet these people in real life. So The first time I met somebody from Twitter was my friend Matt, who I went and traveled with for a long time and really close with, realizing he's just a kid like me just trying to figure out life. That helped a lot with realizing the other creators who are around your stage are just as lost and confused as you are. Everybody is. Then starting to interact with people ahead of me, meeting Taylon Simmons in Costa Rica, seeing how he operated, seeing how he thought, made me realize... Yeah, this guy's high level. Yeah, this guy's on his shit. Yeah, he's much smarter than me, etc. But he's also eight years older than me, right? Like he's just a guy who has had this crazy life experience and has figured it out. And then even more so over the past month, meeting Dan Coe in person, working with him in Cortex, interacting with him on a frequent basis, realizing I see a lot of similarities between myself and him. He's just somebody who's been in the game for six years and relentlessly has worked on himself, worked on his business and reached this level. But where did he start from? He started from being a college dropout just like me, right? That is extremely empowering because once you realize the people ahead of you are not that different than you, you gain the self-confidence and the power to take the same actions they did. And so once I interacted with Dan, once I interacted with Justin, once I interacted with Taylor and realized that, okay, these people aren't that dissimilar from me, I gained the self-confidence to then launch my own cohort. And if I didn't meet them, I don't know if I would have taken action as quick because I would have kept telling myself, I'm not ready. 
Number 11 is you are your best guru. All of the answers are inside of you. You just need to make space to listen. And so this point really in complete honesty and transparency really stems from my psychedelic experiences. So before I had had any psychedelic experiences, I thought that taking psychedelics would give you an out-of-body experience, would tell you things you didn't know about yourself, would whisper voices in your head, especially with ayahuasca. But my experiences were very different. Every time I'd taken psychedelics, I've gone deeper inward to my deepest knowingness and my deepest intuition than I ever had before. And so I leave these experiences with new insights about who I am, my purpose, where I'm going in life, how I'm going to get there, not from some external entity telling me the answers, but realizing that the answers are already inside of you. And so you don't need psychedelics to do this, although they can be powerful to enhance this. You can... You can make space and you need to make space to listen to yourself and your intuition by carving out time frequently, daily to self-reflect, to look within, to journal, to meditate, to go on a walk without headphones, plug out from podcast, plug out from YouTube, plug out from music. You already know what these people are going to say. You know what Jordan Peterson thinks. You know what Dan Coe thinks. You know what Naval thinks. What do you think? What do, what do you think about your situation? Like I've said earlier about advice, you know your, your situation, where you want to go, your context, your life better than anybody else. And so when you have your future self in mind, the person you want to become, you are capable of giving yourself better advice than anybody else could. Sure, people can drop you nuggets. Sure, people can offer you insight. But... You are your own greatest guru. You need to unplug and make space to listen. And it doesn't mean just making space to listen for the good things. It means making space to listen for the demons, for the dark parts of yourself, the parts that, oh, I don't want to hear that. I'm going to just put in a podcast and not think about it. No, sit with that shit. Sit with it, internalize it, integrate with it, right? You're only going to really know yourself and become the person you want to be by listening to yourself across the entire emotional spectrum. You can't pick and choose. So the point of this is, you know yourself better than anybody else. You need to make space to listen to yourself. And the last one, number 12, is don't downplay your natural gifts or talents. Own them, internalize them, and double down on them. Because... When you're operating in your zone of genius, when you're operating in a space where you get into flow state, things feel like play to you, but they look like work to others, people can't compete with you. You separate yourself from everybody else by doubling down on what you're best at and really owning that stuff. And so for a long time, I felt hesitant to own my positive character traits because I feared... I would be coming from a place of ego or coming from a place of superiority or cockiness. But I received a little insight from somebody I look up to in the creator game. And he said, dude, like you have insane natural talents in these areas. Like own it, like stop downplaying it, own it. And that was huge for me because I realized, okay, like maybe I should own it. And then 
it got me thinking, what are these natural areas that I'm talented in? What are these natural gifts? And so what I've realized through self-reflection and especially through an ayahuasca experience in September is my natural strengths, something that things I've been gifted at since childhood through life experiences are leadership, perception, philosophical or big picture thinking, and writing. And those four things separate me from other people when I double down on them and own them. And so for you, what are you naturally gifted at? What gets you into flow state like nothing else? What is something that looks like work to other people but feels like play to you? What's something you were doing naturally as a kid effortlessly? What is a character trait you had to cultivate as a kid to survive your social identity that you can transfer into your work now? Looking within and realizing where these areas are will make you more powerful than if you just downplay them and never look at them. You need to make space to find out what it is you're naturally gifted at and really, really own that stuff. Because once you do, you create space for an exponential leap in potential. So with that, those were the 12 lessons. If you made it to the end, I'm very surprised, but I really appreciate you listening to the end. Um, I'll be, like I said, I'll be writing a blog post about this as well. That will be going out of my newsletter. So if you want to sign up for the newsletter, you can subscribe in the description below. And if you would like to read this blog post online, as well as any of my other blog posts, you can click the link in the description that says jackmoses.co slash blog. So with that, I want to thank you for listening and staying until the end. This year has been insane. Um, I can't wait to see what 2024 is going to bring and beyond. Hopefully someday I'll have an editor. This will be much cleaner. I won't be recording just off my computer and with a $45 mic, but I want to build a scale of speaking. And I want to share my experiences with people, maybe a few steps behind me. So with that, I appreciate you. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, if you could like, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, thank you and peace.